Juan, our audience come from a very diverse background of fly fishing. Uh, they'll fish for trout in, in streams, in rivers, in creeks, uh, up high, down low, uh, as well as bass in rivers and lakes. But also they come from the saltwater world. So it's a pretty dynamic group um, of, of anglers. Just so we can level set, we want to get an idea of the Ar Arkansas River overall from basically from top to bottom. Can you give us a description of the Arkansas starting at, I guess, probably starting at the highest elevation and then work our way down to the tailwater? And, and if you could, describe some of the characteristics of each section that you talk about. Sure. Yeah. Let's start with the uh, upper Arkansas River. That would be up near Leadville. Colorado, and that's kind of where the Arkansas starts. It's a small stream up there. It's high in elevation, about 10,000 feet or more. Um, and it goes through that uh, upper river valley. And um, uh, what you're finding up there, kind of at the headwaters, you have more open meadows. It's a smaller stream. As you move downstream a little bit towards Buena Vista, Colorado, that's where you get into more of the uh, more canyon type water, some deeper canyons, like Brown's Canyon is down located there that's a little bit more secluded and a little bit further away from the highway and you can kind of get in there get away but you got to be able to get out so that's a little bit steeper and and harder to get into and to navigate around um, and then as you go downstream further uh, you get towards salida colorado and opens up a little bit more because like brown's canyon is between salida and north of salida and south of Buena Vista in that section. So once you get down to Salida, opens up a little bit and you have more access or easier access there into that area. So once you get down below Salida, downstream, that's kind of where you run into the upper Bighorn Sheep Canyon. And uh, there's some really good water there. It's not a really steep canyon. The road, Highway 50, runs next to it. So you're uh, able to pull over, park, and then access the river pretty easily. And it's well marked, so public, private, that kind of water is broken up. Um, so that's the upper Bighorn Sheep Canyon. And then as you move further downstream, you get kind of to the Texas Creek area, which is basically the middle between Salida and Canyon City, which is downstream. And lot, tons of water there. There's, there's 50, 58 miles, 55 miles, somewhere around there between the two places. And there's a lot of access. And so it's, it's steep pocket water type stuff, um, some riffles, runs, that kind of stuff that you can, you can find anything that you want to fish there. You can find it in that section. And it's a little bit bigger river there as it, as it gets some tributaries coming in from the upper river. And as you move further down stream to lower big horn sheep Canyon, uh, same thing, a little bit bigger river pockets, riffles, runs, everything you could ask for in the river. And it's a wild river. So it's, it's somewhat steep in, uh, gradient but you can find whatever you want to fish there so once you get kind of on the lower end of the canyon that drops into the uh, rural gorge area and uh, very hard to access that I, I don't even know if you can get in there because from the bottom you have to go up the train tracks and that's private property so uh, that's the only way in other than floating it down from the top side downstream so and then once you get into uh, or get out of that out of the Royal gorge it drops into Canyon City, which is um, the nearest town there. And there's some there's some good water in that stretch as well. And it uh, doesn't get fished as much just because it's in, in through town. And uh, But you can certainly fish that. The last uh, portion of it, it before it, uh, well, once it comes out of Canyon City, it uh, goes through some private property, then dumps into Pueblo Reservoir. And then the next section of uh, public water is below the reservoir, which is the tailwater coming out of the reservoir and we just call that Pueblo. So anytime we reference Pueblo, we're talking about the tailwater. So I've been, uh, in Leadville one time, uh, we actually rented a Jeep and went through some back roads or trails or Jeep roads or whatever you want to call them, uh, out of fair play toward Buena Vista and then over through some pass. I don't remember what it was into into Leadville and I think I saw the Colorado whenever we were going from Leadville back to Breckenridge like we were going back to the interstate maybe is that okay am I thinking right 
Um, you might be off a little bit. The Colorado's north, if you're talking about the river. Uh-huh. Uh, further north. Okay. Um, up near I-70. So, Broken okay. Ridge, if you're headed south, you uh, get into the South Platte headwaters. Yeah, yeah, okay. And okay. you can follow that kind of back towards Colorado Springs area. And you're running into the South Platte drainage at that point. Okay, all right. So, we went in... in Leadville's an interesting town, and I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek. We saw some, uh, quote, air quotes here, interesting people up there. Uh, oh, but yes. Yeah, yeah, there's some there's some interesting stuff. We didn't go, to go in, and was it Doc Holliday? I can't remember which one it was that uh, the famous person that was mm-hmm. back in the Western days. I think it was Doc Holliday. Am I right on that? Feels not like it's sure. On, on, yeah, I'm not sure. In Leadville. But anyway, uh, there's some cool bars there, and couple coffee shops and, and that sort of thing. So we spent a day up there. We rode around on a Jeep and we were uh, just kind of kind of hanging out and having a good time. And then we, we ended up going back to Breckenridge by I-70. But as we were riding around, there's a bunch of nice little streams up there, mm-hmm. little rivers that it looks like you could get into that would be a ton of fun. You could, probably, I swear it looked like you could spend a whole year up there if you really wanted to and touch all those little creeks and rivers and stuff. So that's interesting. Uh, and right. some of them were, you know, about half the width of a car. And right. then some were about the little, width. Little headwater tributaries. Yeah, yeah. But how wide is it down in Pueblo be- below the reservoir? Or about how Well, it wide? depends. Yeah. No, it, it depends on the time of year. Um, currently, right now, we're in winter conditions, so we're running low. Um, you can cross it easily. It's uh, not too deep in most places. Uh-huh. And it's not too wide. So you're probably looking yards. You're probably looking 40 yards wide, maybe. And oh, most okay. of that being shallow. And uh, once you get into spring, fall, and we'll, we can talk about that more later. But once you get into summer, it's going to be much larger. And you, most of the time, with the flows in the summertime, you can't cross. Mm, it's too okay. dangerous. Okay. Water level's too high. Right. Okay. So so fall, winter, or good low wading. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, into spring. Anything outside of uh, spring and fall and winter time, you're going to have a little bit of trouble. Ah, okay, okay, cool. All right, well, let's kick this thing off then. Now that we know a little bit about what we're talking about, from high atop the world headquarters of Southeastern Fly, this is the Southeastern Fly podcast. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends and your family. Subscribe or follow, uh, so you'll be the first to know when an episode drops. Also. Uh, Give us a positive review wherever you consume your podcasts. If you find value in the podcast and want to support the work we do here, drop by the Southeastern Fly store and simply make a purchase. We've got a new uh, logo out there that we're putting on some some hats and some T-shirts and uh, some other items. So if you want to go take a look, we would appreciate all the help we can get. So who's our guest today on Southeastern Fly? He's a fly fishing guide on the South Platte and the Arkansas Rivers in Colorado. He's also an accomplished fly tire and is well known for his small technical flies. He ties flies at local fly fishing shows, tying demonstrations, conducts tying classes at uh, the Angler's Covey in Colorado Springs. Please welcome to Southeastern Fly, Juan Ramirez. Juan, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, so uh, a, a little background. I I know that you you and I both have a mutual friend, David Knapp, uh, and, and David is uh, he runs a, a fly fishing uh, guide service called the Trout Zone. Uh, and David and I have been fishing for a long, long time together. And I know that you and David fished together when he lived out there uh, in right. in uh, in Colorado. So I had called or I text David and said, "Hey, I need to talk to somebody." about uh, the Colorado Springs area. Now, I've spent a little bit of time out there, as some of y'all know, because I've got some family that lives out there. So that's what really piqued my interest. And what I want to do kind of this year in 2023 is start talking about uh, travel just a little bit. I don't want to get into the travel business or anything like that, but I kind of want to know a little bit about different spots in the United States uh, that uh, folks from the Southeast might want to travel and fish. I still want to focus on Southeast because it's called Southeastern Fly, so that's what we kind of do here. But uh, I also want to kind of touch on different places out there that that folks might want, might want to go. 
since I'm familiar with Colorado Springs a little bit, that's whenever I called David and said, hey, who, who do you know down there? And he said, definitely give Juan a call. So that's kind of how we hooked up together to uh, to put this episode together. And we talked a little bit uh, about uh, fishing around Colorado, Colorado Springs. Since he works at the Angler's Covey, I thought, okay, he'd be a good one. Uh, I know David, and I know David would steer us in the right direction. I've seen some of your fly tie and work online. Really looks good, by the way. So it was kind of a kind of an obvious choice here for me to to get in touch with you. But as we talked the other day, I got more and more comfortable with you, and I hope you did with me as well. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I think we're going to be able to really put together a good episode here for for folks to learn not only uh, about the Arkansas River down around Pueblo, but also. Uh, Maybe give some tips that that folks can can try and bring back to their own fishing. So, I want to start out with a, with an overall view of the Arkansas and, and work our way down to the tailwater because you fish the tailwater uh, quite a bit. So now that we've got a lay of the land, so to speak, I want to get a little more technical. And like you said, people uh, when folks are heading to the Arkansas tailwater, you called it Pueblo, so. We'll use the Arkansas River and Pueblo interchangeably here, uh, just so folks will be able to keep up. And, and what I want to do is just get a general idea of the types of of fishing that that might work in that area. So, for instance, nymph fishing, throwing dries, tossing streamers, that sort of thing, uh, whatever you feel like it would be beneficial and productive. Uh, and we'll get into, into types of flies uh, a little bit later for the tailwater section. Uh, actually, with the next question, I think is where it's going to lead to. But sure. start with spring and moving through the seasons into winter. Can you kind of give us an idea of the different techniques that work for each season for you? Sure. Yeah, so let's start with spring in terms of what we're looking at on the river and specifically Pueblo, the tailwater. The flows are generally the lowest coming into the early portion of spring. They're storing water in Pueblo Reservoir, and around March 15th is when they kind of start, uh, they, they increase the flows a little bit for downstream irrigation. So Pueblo Reservoir stores water for downstream irrigation, and throughout the summer, spring, summer, and fall, they release it downstream where they move water. So starting around March 15th, let's, let's start there, and, and once the flows come up a little bit, we're talking about maybe 70 CFS in wintertime somewhere up to 120, let's call it, let's say. That's kind of our wintertime flow. So as we bump up into March, middle of March, we uh, have the potential to go up to 200, 250, maybe 300 CFS. And that's a great, great flow for the, for the Arkansas, for Pueblo. You, it, it, it spreads the fish out just a little bit more, and they're starting to get in those spots where you can find them, but behind the rocks, behind the structure, that kind of stuff. So up to about three, 400, 400 CFS, that's a great flow um, for the springtime. And there's a lot of midges, there's mayflies, and then there's the spawning season for the rainbows. There's a lot of rainbows in the river. There's probably, percentage-wise, there's 80% rainbows, maybe 90% rainbows and 10% browns. So a lot more rainbows. Or actually, they're cut bows. So there's a lot more of those in the river. So around March, February, March, even maybe even right now, they start spawning we're getting on the reds, so eggs come into play. And um, so not every fish is spawning at the same time, but they're sitting there, they're they're eating eggs, they're picking off midges, they're picking off mayflies. Um, so nymphing is the best way to approach that. Uh, there's a few times where you can run into, you know, some hatching, a uh, hatch of midges or hatch mayflies on the river. But for, uh, for the most part, it's a nymphing game. Uh, you can throw streamers. Um, but if the water's low, it's it's a little more difficult. Throwing streamers better in the summer. So that's what we're looking at into the spring. And um, as it rolls into summer, that's where the flows get bigger because there's downstream irrigation uh, calls for water. And so you're looking at that 400 CFS bumping up to 600, 800, and then 1,200 and, and beyond that. So what I found out this year after fishing and guiding it quite a bit this this summer is we can fish it up to about 1500 cfs and then it gets really tricky Mm. and so that's a lot of water in that river and uh same thing nymphing dries you're not throwing any dries at that point just a little bit too big Uh, so they're just sitting down there eating nymphs 
and a variety of nymphs. You know, again, midges still play a big part of it. It's a tailwater, so there's going to be midges. There's going to be mayflies. <laughs> you start getting into more caddis during the summer, and and again, there's adult caddis on the water, but there's so many layers that the fish have to to go through to eat. You know, they just stay down, picking off food as it comes down to them. So, right. um, but streamers again come into play, and and you're talking, you know, behind structure. The best places to fish those streamers. That's that's where you want to be. There's small, you know, small fish from the spawn that are starting to show up. So streamers can be really, really effective during that time frame. But day in and day out, you know, it's nymphing. And you, you're throwing worms, you're throwing, you can throw eggs. They may may or may not eat eggs, um, leeches, that kind of stuff, followed up with a mayfly and probably a midge just to see what they're up to that day. So you said the high CFS was 1,200? Well, it can get much bigger than that. I mean, there's there's years again. It depends on snowpack because the upper river, the what I call the arc, the upper river is uh, freestone. So depending on how much snowfall we get throughout the winter time, that that determines how high the flows are going to be. Okay. On the upper section of it, coming down to the reservoir, the reservoir holds a certain amount, but it also has to move out a certain amount. So. It could get up to five thousand CFS, which it has uh, different times of you know wow. different years. But uh, you know it'll get up to twenty five hundred. If you're at twenty five, it's a little tough. I mean, we we spent about two weeks off of it this year because it was a little bit too too big just to get people on it. But uh, fifteen hundred and below, it it fishes pretty good. So is that waiting or is that floating? Which which one at the that's 1, all waiting. Yeah, it's all waiting. Okay, do you float it at all? Do y'all float it at yeah. all? That's correct. All waiting. That's that's what we do. Okay. Um, I don't. Um, there's not a lot of people that do. There was a few um, people that did in the past, and um, you know, if you have your own drift boat, you can do, you can certainly do it. Okay. But uh, we don't do that as far as guiding goes. Okay. All right. All right. So, so you were back in uh, about summer, just past summer, whenever I interrupted you. Yeah. So yes, yeah, summer. Um, you know, again, big water. Uh, fish are there. They like to eat. And and they're willing to eat a lot during the summer just to put on that weight. As summer kind of slows down, now we're looking towards August. Again, you got to get into that. Um, the, the program they have for the upper river also affects the lower river, the tailwater. So the upper river has uh, a flow management program that they run through the summer for rafting. And that ensures 700 CFS in the upper river until August 15th. And so from, from basically from runoff to August 15th, they're keeping 700 CFS in the river. They're doing that by, they, they supplement some, the, the main river, the native flow with a couple reservoirs that they hold water in and they release to ensure that they have 700 CFS. So that's a flow management program that they run. So August 15th, they cut that flow back on the upper river and that affects what comes down into the reservoir with, which then affects the the amount of water coming in so the amount of water coming out also gets affected so after august 15th you can see a a, a drop in flows so running 1200 cfs you might drop down to 600 depending on the water calls downstream but you have a big drop where 1200 cfs was great you know it was huge to start out with but now it's awesome and then 600 cfs is skinny at this point so mm, you just right. have to adjust to the flows and so that's after August 15th. And again, late summer, a lot of caddis, you know, mayflies, midges as well. There's days where they will not touch anything else except for midges <laughs> and little tiny midges, which, you know, makes sense in a tailwater, but it frustrates people. And, and, you know, when you have to go down to size 24 midge in August, it's not a lot of fun. Yeah, dude, I can't even see the turn. I can't even tie one of those on. <laughs> <laughs> we have to fish those in the wintertime. So, you know, we're fishing those now. I don't really want to be fishing them in August, but that's what they're eating. So that's what we have to feed them. So, yeah, right. Um, so that's late summer and then fall, which is probably, you know, one of the best times. Spring and fall, I think, are the best times to be on the river. Drops down again. You have to adjust to the now skinny water, which is 400 CFS and get used to that down to 200 mm. CFS. And it's bouncing around. Because again, depending on what's going on downstream, if it's raining a lot east of Colo- east, east of Pueblo in eastern Colorado, then less water is called for. Um, oh, but if it's right. really dry, they need more water for the crops and irrigation. Right. So that's kind of how that works in terms of what you're looking at. So again, fall, you're looking back to 
oh, let's call it 250 to 600, somewhere around there. So that's another great flow for that river. I think 400 is probably prime for that river in most spots. But again, you get used to 1200 CFS, and that's a great flow too. So it all depends on time of year and how and where you're fishing it. So, so there's there's a ton of variation there, which which you have to adjust for. But also on the flip side, it feels like there's some hard fast dates there that that things start happening and stop happening. Like March fifteenth, you mentioned August fifteenth, you mentioned correct, and it's, that's probably a, is that a little bit soft? And you said depending on what's called for downstream. Uh, so you you know on March fifteenth they don't they don't automatically turn it up or do they? They will push a little bit of water right away, or they will cut some water right away. It just depends, but again, it does, yes, it does depend on what's going on downstream, but you, you generally will have a bump, a bump of water in March. So let's say it's 100 CFS, they'll bump it to 220 for a day or two, and then they might drop it back down to 150. So it bounces around quite a bit, and there's not until you know the, the summertime starts and the irrigation season really kicks off that those flows go up and hold. And then once you, but once you get into fall, it's a little bit, uh, a little more solid on, on what you can expect. You know, you can expect not to be bouncing around as much as you do say in springtime with the flows. So, okay. So if I'm, if I'm going out there to fish, if, 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 if one of us are going out there to fish, that's pretty mm-hmm. much, you can pretty much tell what's going to happen, uh, on that tailwater throughout the year within, you know, within reason, you can kind of. Right. Kind of say, all right, I, this is a pretty solid plan that I've put together. It, somebody might want to go out there and fish the mountains, but there might be something going on, like I don't know, severe thunderstorms or something like that. Maybe up in the in the upper elevations, and you might want to take them Correct. down to, the, to Pueblo because you know, all right, this is a pretty, it's pretty steady. I kind of know what's going on down there. You know, there's not huge flows all of a sudden, uh, right? Except except for for specific dates and beyond. So. That's interesting right. that, that you have that opportunity down there. Right. Yeah. And that really helps us, um, depending on what we're doing. If I have a trip on the upper river and like you said, there's thunderstorms, because again, you, you, if you're coming in summer, you can have rain, uh, or thunderstorms every day of the, of, of the week <laughs> and that muddies up the upper river. Uh-huh. And so your, your backup options are the tailwaters, whether it be the dream stream or any part of the South Platte or Pueblo because it is below the dam and everything coming out of there is going to be, uh, for the most part, it's going to be clear. Yeah. So the first, the very first time I went out there, we stayed in Silverthorne. Oh, uh, and I've probably said this before to folks listening out there, but we stayed in Silverthorne and I said, Hey, I just, I just want to get on a boat. Uh, just take me wherever. I don't care. I'll throw whatever you want to throw. It doesn't matter. I just, you know, I, Quite frankly, my wife and daughter were probably tired, tired of messing with me and wanted to get me out of the out of the cabin we were renting. But they said, "Well, you know, we we'll do a a half day because it's monsoon season." And I was like, "What monsoon season? What does that even mean? You know, is it gonna?" And, and fortunately, uh, Phil, the guy that I that I was uh, gonna go with, he was there, and he's like, "No, don't worry about it, dude. It's just some heavy thunderstorms and some hail, and we just want to be off the river before that comes." I was like, "Okay, well, that makes sense." Right. I definitely don't want to fish right. in hail. I've done that before. That's not a, that ain't no picnic. So I don't want to be out there during hail. So that's exactly what we did. So if you hear monsoon right. season out there, it's a little bit different than what you, what probably immediately pops into your mind. <laughs> but uh, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Watch the the weather forecast. And, you know, if they're talking about uh, thunderstorms in the afternoon, it's going to happen. So yeah, right. But Almost a guarantee. You've got the morning that you can get out though. A lot of times right. you just, you know, Maybe be a little closer to the, to the car than you would be here in Tennessee during the summer, uh, because right. yeah, here during the summer you get a thunderstorm. It's a thunderstorm, but it you know a lot of times it'll pass. Out there, right. it may have some hail with it if you're if you're at elevation. So just something to keep in mind. There's a lot of lightning involved in that as well. So that's probably the main concern. We can we can fish in the rain and maybe even the hail, but the lightning is what really that's the dangerous part. Yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not a fan of waving a stick in a lightning storm. <laughs> Just ain't no. for me. No, no, it's not. <laughs> they, they don't go together very well. No, they don't. 
<laughs> well, just, just to tack on to that last question, let's move into the more productive flies that you, that you think work out there on the tailwater. Uh, we don't want sure. your super secret pattern, although, as I always say, we'll take it, but we don't have to have it. And keep in mind that there are probably some other guides that will be listening to this, so don't give away your your deepest secrets. Uh, if you, if you want Juan's deepest secrets, then, then book him for a day and, and, uh, and, That's right. and, maybe, and he'll be able to tell you that. But so, but just to get a general idea uh, of what folks will be fishing, you know, as far, and you mentioned nymphs. So nymphs is a pretty big thing. Uh, and we fish Rick nymphs regularly down here, unless we're up in the Smokies or North Georgia or some of the streams in, in Eastern Kentucky and that sort of thing in, in Virginia. But, what are some of the common characteristics of the flies that you tie uh, for the tailwater, such as, and if we can talk about profiles and size and color and that sort of thing, that'd be fantastic. Sure. Yeah. Let's nerd out a little bit. Uh, All right. So I don't have any uh, secrets as far as that goes. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I'll share pretty much everything I have with most people. I um, don't think there's any secrets on my end because you got to, you got to put the time in, you got to learn. And, uh, you know, we're fishing for wild fish and wild animals and we can never guarantee what they're going to do, but we can try. So that's what, that's kind of what I base everything on. But I also put a lot of stock into my, my fly patterns. And when we're talking about fishing Colorado, we're talking about fishing tailwaters and we're talking about South Platte and Arkansas tailwaters, then we get uh, a, a real nerdy and we get real techie on what we're fishing. So when we talk about fishing nymphs, you know, depending on where you are, you guys might be talking about uh, fishing jigged Euro style nymphs, and that's not that's not us here in, really? in terms of the tailwaters. Okay. So we can fish them, but you know we do fish them, and they do work, yes, but not twelve months of the year. Um, and you know, and I say that you can go out and fish, catch, catch fish within 12 months of the year, but for day in and day out for what I do guiding wise, we generally have to stay small on our tailwaters. Hmm. And that's because the bugs that the fish see, they're going to be way smaller than what probably you guys are seeing, or probably way smaller than definitely way smaller than what people in Montana and Wyoming are seeing. Right. And so we freak out people because we're fishing a lot of 20s, 22s, and 24s in terms of small bugs. And, you know, when you can get away with 12s, 14s, and 16s, and when people say 18s are their small bugs, you know, we just, I just kind of smile at them and just say, oh, that, that's kind of my attractor fly, depending <laughs> on where I'm fishing. So, right. There's a little bit of difference, and I'm not sure that people really understand why we fish small bugs. And basically, the reason comes down to is we have to fish small bugs because that's what the fish are eating. They're eating small bugs. The colder water, the elevation, they just don't grow as as big as other places. You know, they're the, the amount of time that it takes to cook them and get them to adulthood, it's pretty short. And so they come out small. They end up small. And so that's what we're doing. We're imitating midges, we're imitating mayflies, and those are small. You know, our PMDs are uh, not that large. You know, size 18 is about a, a, a good size for us for a PMD. And so that's probably the thing that people don't understand is that what we fish here is small and dark, and uh, you'll catch a lot of fish on them. That's the trade-off. If you fish one big fly, you might catch one, hook, one, one fish, and you hook it, you land it. But if you fish mm -hmm. small bugs, you might hook 10 fish. You might land, if you're landing five of them at 50%, you're doing okay. So mm. that's the trade-off. And that's kind of what we, that's what I live with. And that's, that's how I make a living is fishing those small bugs. You know, we can fish jigged flies and they do catch fish, but day in and day out, the small flies just, that's what, that's what makes the money here for me. Mm. And, uh, you know, we can throw worms, we can throw some stone flies, depending on what we're doing, but yeah, just midges and mayflies day in and day out. That's going to be small 18s, 20s, 22s, and 24s. So no secret there. You just got to tie small. The, I guess the secret is, you know, you have to fish them. That's the biggest secret. That's, that's, uh, so do you use a, like a big stone fly to send them down or do you just fish two small flies? What do you do there? 
No. So generally the way I fish, the way a lot of my other guide friends fish and, and kind of the accepted way to fish here in Colorado on the tailwaters is we can run three flies. So depending mm. on where you're fishing, if you're fishing the Colorado, you might have a stone fly. If you're fishing the Arkansas, you might have a, the upper arc. You might have a stone fly as your first fly. If you're fishing Pueblo, uh, there's not many stone flies. So you can fish a big stone. They probably won't eat it in terms of as a stone fly. But again, you never know. And so, you know, that's kind of a wasted, wasted, uh, spot on your lineup, I think. And so I'm running, you know, depending on what they're looking at, it could be a worm or it could be a leech and then okay. two small bugs after that. So could be leech, uh, could be a mayfly and then a midge. And that's kind of my, and then split shot above that to get it down. And then an indicator rig, you can, you can throw a Euro rig as well. And I'm not saying that they won't eat it, but if you don't know how to fish it correctly and, and the better you are at fishing tight line technique, you're going to do well. But if right. you don't really, if you're not that good at it, you know, you're going to lose a lot of fish, miss a lot of fish. And then as you get into wintertime, you know, you're fishing the 22s, 24s day in and day out. And so if you're fishing something really bright and heavy and big, they're, they're not going to eat it huh. for the most part. Okay. Because it doesn't match what they're eating. It doesn't match what they're seeing. They're not seeing stoneflies on that river. So they don't see them. They're probably not going to eat them. Right. Right. That makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's really limited to mayflies and midges. Um, huh. Bulk of their, their diet. Um, terrestrials, they, they, they um, you know, that's one of the things that really gets us uh, around here. I have, so my nickname is Hopper Wan. Yeah, right. Came with one of my fly patterns and, and, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, that's all you do is fish terrestrials. Nope. That's, that's, that's not quite it. So, uh, there's a lot of grasshoppers <laughs> on the banks, but usually they don't end up in the water. And if they end up in the water, you know, you can throw them in the water sometimes and watch them go float past hundred yards before you lose them. And then nobody eats them. No so kidding. Huh. what you got to understand is that on our tailwaters, the basically the fish are lazy you know it's just like if you had somebody sitting on the couch and people bring them food all the time they don't have to get up to eat yeah they don't have to go to the kitchen they don't have to go looking for food it's and it's you know french fries all day every day and so (laughs) if everybody if somebody brings them french fries they're going to eat french fries and if something else shows up they may or may not eat it but they're pretty lazy and if they don't have to go to the surface to eat they're not going to that makes total it's kind sense. of weird yeah it's kind of weird and it's backwards in terms of what people think should happen you know it should be terrestrials should be dry droppers that kind of stuff and you can fish that way especially on the upper river that's where the upper arc that's where that comes into play a little bit more that's a better section of the river if you want to go fish terrestrials is up above on the upper river you right find uh, a lot of willing fish there so that within you know 50 miles or maybe it's, yeah, 50 miles, 60, 70 miles, you can find two different rivers and fish two different ways, tailwater versus the freestone. So what you're telling me and what I'm hearing is that generally up high, the fish are a little more opportunistic. Down low, Correct. they're like, I'm just going to eat whatever floats by on a consistent Correct. basis, and that's it. Yes, and, and they're seeing a lot more variety on the upper section, upper river above the reservoir mm-hmm. there's more terrestrials there's a wider variety of pmds you know mayflies that kind of stuff they're not so tuned into midges they don't have to be and that's part of the freestone style of the river the the days warm up higher w- quicker um it cools off at night and it warms up again the next day and it cools off at night whereas the tailwater in pueblo it stays a pretty consistent temperature right. it'll warm up yes because it does get hot there and it'll cool off, but not as it doesn't fluctuate as much. And the bugs are, they're not completely different, but they're, you know, the menus stripped down quite a bit. And so, right. like I said, they, they eat French fries every day. That's kind of your midges and mayflies. And that's what they're used to. So that's what you got to feed them. They're not, they don't go out of their way, you know, you know, throwing streamers some days. You won't get a look just huh. because they don't have to. They can that sit there and, and hold and eat, you know, 25 nymphs without moving <laughs> and get the same amount or close to the same amount of calories as they would having to chase something down. 
it's unique. It, you need to be really targeted with your with your presentation then, because if they can just sit there and eat all day, then they're not going to move three or four foot for your fly to go by. And they're not going to move out there and grab it. They're going to be like, I'll just wait for something to come right. a closer. Yeah, that's correct. They don't have to move. I mean, you know, when you look at two different fisheries, if there's not a lot of food in a in a fishery, they're going to move and they're going to eat everything they see. Right. Tailwaters, that's where the, our tailwaters are different. There's how many midges per minute that float past them or mayflies or food, basically. They don't have to chase things down. And so your presentation, yes, you put the right fly with the right weight in the right spot, you got a good chance of hooking fish. Huh. Now, the other thing, upper river, upper arc versus the tailwater, tailwater fish, again, like I said, they're lazy. They can eat what they want, when they want, and year round as, as well. And so these fish are just growing. So the tailwater fish are generally larger mm-hmm. versus the freestone fish. And so when you take that into account, you know, a little bit higher elevation upstream and more bug diversity, they're going to eat more and different variety of food items than they would at the tailwater. Makes total sense. And and like the Smokies here, there are bigger bugs up there, generally speaking, mm-hmm. than the tailwater. So we fish bigger stuff up there than we do down low, even around the Smokies and the tailwaters around the Smokies and up north in northeast Tennessee. Uh, and then a little bit down toward Atlanta. Those tailwaters, generally speaking, are fishing a little bit smaller. Then we are up high in the right. Smokies and here in Middle Tennessee. Right. Definitely a little smaller uh, than the Smokies, but not tiny like you're talking about. Not the 20s, 22s, and 20, 24s, but that could go back to you, you talking about the heating up and cooling off. You know, on the, like here in Middle Tennessee, it heats up and it stays pretty warm. So the bug life mm-hmm. has a little bit yeah. of chance to grow. So it makes total sense. Right, right. So it, yeah, if you kind of break it down, the the bugs, if they have more consistent temperatures in the warm zone, let's call it, um, they can grow, they can cook longer. Whereas here in the tailwaters, you got higher elevation, colder water. They just don't have that time and, and they don't take the amount of, you know, they don't grow as fast. And so yeah. what's getting served up to the fish is way smaller than you know anywhere else and that's that's more specific i think you know the san juan river the the south platte river the arkansas river tailwater and um once you kind of get away from that and further up north into wyoming then things change wyoming montana and then as you go down south in new mexico it's it's similar to a certain extent but um things change i think it's kind of elevation latitude is that right latitude yes yeah and uh <laughs> you know, how it all plays out, water temperatures as well. Because yeah. a lot of these tailwaters, they come from, you know, they come from the bottom of the river. And um, not every one of the tailwaters is is freezing cold, but it, it can be. And it can be that way in, in July and August. Yeah, it's really right. cold. Right. Yeah, some of ours here stay, you know, bone chilling for a while. Right. And yeah. uh, and some some warm up, you know, some of the rivers that I fish in the in the spring, I don't necessarily go to in the summer. Uh, but I'll, I'll hit them in the fall, winter, uh, and then catch them as, right. as it starts warming a little bit. About February, March, I'll start back on them. So it's kind of yeah. the same yeah. way, but but not exactly. Yeah, you just have to change kind of your thought process when you come here and, and understand why we fish what we fish most of the time and why we're not fishing, you know, size 14 jig flies with bright gold beads because it <laughs> really doesn't match what right. they're seeing and you can have you know great days with silver size 18 beads uh, jig flies it just depends on what yeah what the fish are looking for so yeah right jordan red at red's flies is a listener and a friend of the southeastern fly podcast jordan's patterns are tested extensively here in the southeast and work all around the country testing each pattern ensures you have the best opportunity to increase your catch rate while you're on the water Red's Flies carries hundreds of patterns, including standard nymphs and Euro nymphs, tailwater and freestone dry flies, and a very nice assortment of streamer patterns. Red's Flies is a small family-owned business, and they give back to the community by donating 10% of their profits to the Chattahoochee River Keepers, Trout Unlimited, Bonefish Tarpon Trust, and other conservation organizations who support our southern waters. 
Go to www.redsflies.com and spell reds with two Ds. Remember, they offer free shipping on orders of $50 or more. And if you enter the code SEFLY at checkout, you'll receive an additional 15% off your order. That's redsflies.com and tell them you heard it on the Southeastern Fly Podcast. So it's good, and I, I I like talking to different people at different parts of the country. Uh, now we could we could still use some of the stuff you're talking about, right? So you know it's not all oh well we're only going to do this when we go to Colorado, or we're only going to go to the, do this when we end up around Pueblo. But you can use right. some of that thought process that you're talking about here in certain places. So I like to talk to people oh, yeah. about these things and kind of get okay. Well, here's a little different idea. And believe me, as you know, we all like to kind of experiment a little bit. And this just gives an angler that's listening a little bit different take on things. Even if it's even, like I said, even right. if it's not in Pueblo, maybe it's in Atlanta, maybe it's in North Carolina, you know, in certain places. Right. So yeah. Right. Good. And I do have a, I do have a friend in Georgia. Yeah. He's, he, he's learned to fish smaller and he's like, man, you know, it's a game changer because fish or fish, you know, if, you know, they're, they're a lot like humans. If you wake up in the morning and I offer you a big old cheeseburger, you know, maybe 50% of the time you'll take it, but maybe, maybe not, you know, more than that, maybe 70% of the time, you're not going to take a big cheeseburger first thing in the morning. So we have to kind of think like fish too, and and put it in terms of what we're seeing and what we're thinking. They're not always going to eat a cheeseburger or a steak or anything like that. They might want those French fries or those you know, little bites. And so yeah, if you offer me there, bacon, yeah. bacon first thing in the morning, a hundred percent of the time, I'm going to take it. <laughs> right. Exactly. And that's how you have to think, you know, what's my bacon fly, right? It's a small mayfly. Maybe let's call it that. So, uh, yeah, small and dark to kind of answer your question. And, and that's kind of where I specialize in my flies, um, in terms of what I have out there. And I'll just quickly run through. I have flies with Montana fly company and those were all tested, developed here in Colorado, and 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 like I said, tested on the on these tailwaters. But um, mm-hmm. you know, some of the flies I have, like the Slim Shady, that's one of my mayflies. The Jedi Master, the Money Midge, the Flex Capacitor, those are all midges, um, along with some others that have been out there a while. And uh, the Kryptonite Caddis is another one that was devo- developed and tested on the Upper Arc, and mm. they have more caddis up there. And uh, there's a big caddis hatch that happens every year and so that's where that was developed and tested so everything's tested around here and put through these lazy fish and if they eat it it's it's always good so yeah do you mind sending me a list of those and i'll put those in the show notes for the folks that are listening sure. yeah yeah and that'll that'll uh that'll give them at least a starting point Not, some of our folks tie and some of them buy flies it's kind of like me i'll tie some i'll buy some uh I've got a I've got a guy that ties some of my flies for me that I use regular and use a, a a large amount. But if there if there's experimenting to be done, I'm looking around and hunting and pecking about what it is I'm going to try next. So uh, if we could get right. those, yeah. that'd be fantastic. Yeah, that'd give us especially I for can, somebody that wants to try something a little different or come out there. You know, right? Yeah, and I can I'll send you my YouTube channel. I have a YouTube channel which I oh yeah have uh, video uh, shorts is what I call them. Uh, of of tying videos of all my patterns and all the patterns that are popular here as well and it's a, a kind of a fast-forwarded version of that so you don't have to sit there and listen to me talk for you know 12 25 minutes explaining how to tie a fly so right so you just watch it and, and move on and yes. do it yourself. okay cool so some of our listeners hire a guide when they come to when they visit new water uh and some of them are totally diy myself i prefer to hire a guide the first day or two and then i'll go out sometimes and fish uh on my own just you know the rest of the time if i decide to go out but our our listeners are, are i guess i'm saying again they're very diverse and they they enjoy their their experiences differently but what if if somebody was coming out and let's and just because i'm familiar with colorado springs i'll kind of use that if i was coming out to colorado springs and decided, I, all right, I want to go fish, fish Pueblo with you or, or on my own. Uh, what would make our trip more enjoyable, like when we're fishing the Arkansas? Right. So there's a few things, you know, I do suggest, yes, getting a guide for the first day that will um, 
you know, help you to understand where the river is, first of all, where to uh, access some of the points and that kind of, that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, specifically for Pueblo, we have a state park, which you have to buy a day pass for uh, to get in and fish there. Or another section of it's called the Nature Center. There's another day fee there. It's different from the state park. You have to access it in different areas. And then there's some other water down uh, into town, which if you don't know where you're going, that's probably not the best thing to do. But um, just knowing those and, and what you have to do to access the river is key. Um, I think once you do that and you get a kind of a lay of the land and the water and how to fish it, then you can probably get out and venture on your own and, you know, fish it for a day or two or more. The more you fish it, the better you understand it. But uh, I think getting a guide will give you that inside information on what, again, what bugs to fish, how to fish them, how much weight, how to fight these fish. Because I'll tell you what, these fish in the Arkansas um, or the Pueblo tailwater, they're different. Hmm. And I, I tell everybody they're different. I have to explain that depending on where you are, where you, where you fished and how you fish, it's not going to be the same in Pueblo. Uh, reason being is, you know, you can fish the South Platte, you can fish the upper arc, you can fish anywhere around here. It, you know, there's some good fish and there's 20 inch fish on all of these areas, but a 20 inch fish in Deckers, for instance, is not going to fight the same way as a 20 inch fish in Pueblo. And I say that because those fish in Pueblo, I tell everybody they're just linebackers, but they're NFL linebackers. They're bigger, stronger, faster, and they don't like getting hooked. And huh. on Deckers, you can go catch a 20-inch fish, get a couple head shakes, you know, good run, two, three runs, and then get them in the net pretty easily. But in Pueblo, the main mistake I see is people stripping in fish, you know, the standard set the hook, bite it on your finger, strip, strip, strip. And if you strip those fish in like you're used to doing, say on, on your home river, and you do that there on that, uh, on Pueblo, uh, those fish are, they'll, they'll make you pay and <laughs> you won't understand that. I can't explain what they're going to do, but they're going to do something. And I tell everybody it's like bull riding, you know, you can, you can stay on and those fish will just do what they want to do. And you just try to stay on for as long as you can. So getting the fish on the reel and fighting the fish off the reel is key. That's probably huh. the number one thing I can tell somebody, you know, I hear a lot about reels and they're just, they just hold line and that's all they do. But no, if, if you've never fought one of these fish, then you're going to, I guarantee if you have that mentality, you're going to lose every, every fish you hook there. That is so, over 14, 15, 16 inches. Is that partly to do with the size? Uh, I mean, you said they were they were NFL linebackers, and I get that, but you're also talking about mm -hmm. fighting them on, uh, you know, a, a size 20. I'm just going to kind of plop myself in the middle of size 20, 22 right. hook. So that makes a huge difference of being smooth. And that drag will help right. you be a little bit smoother whenever they decide, I'm going to take a run to this rock over here. Right. Yes, and they do that. And if you're stripping in that line, you just don't have that feel. And I think that's probably one thing is feel. And, uh, you know, it's, it's about touch, how you fish this river. I can go to the upper river, the upper arc, and strip my fish in all day mm -hmm. and have no problem. But if I did that on in Pueblo, I'm going to lose fish because they do, they come at you and then they turn and they smoke you at 100 miles an hour <laughs> and break you off. It's not, they'll pop off as well. You know, the size 20 flies, they'll pop off. So you'll lose yeah. them definitely. But I tell everybody, you know, if we lose a fish, I can tell usually what happened. You know, if they pop off, it comes, you know, you can see that no big deal. Next fish. But if I see you do something, grab the reel while it's spinning, uh, strip in the line and that rod goes down really fast, it's going to break you off. And I know I can see that. So, yeah. I tell everybody, if you're breaking off fish, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, and that's right. the only place that that'll teach you. That's the way to do it there. Um, I guarantee that you'll lose break off fish. Probably the biggest fish that you've hooked there, you'll lose because he's not on the reel. And so that's the key. Hmm. Okay. It's it's different. It it definitely is different. Well, that's what I was going to say. What, what makes it so different that, that, 
they're, I mean, I've, I've fished up high. South Park, Colorado, the blue, all that stuff up there in that area. But do you think it's just the cold water? What do you, what do you think makes them so much different? You know, that, that I don't know. These are all wild fish um, for the most part. You'll know a oh, wild okay. fish versus they do stock some. Uh-huh. But you'll you'll know it. You'll know the difference if if gotcha. you've ever seen a stalker. You know the concrete gray versus the bright red, wild rainbows that are there. So they, I don't know. My my buddy just says those fish like to drink Red Bull for breakfast, and <laughs> that's probably the best thing to understand it. The best way to understand it. It's and I, and I that's all I can really say is it's different. It's different. You know, it's a different feel definitely different and uh you know i'll tell people that before i get you in the water and and that first fish they look at me sometimes and just like man it's different and what the heck was that i say yeah it it, it just is i mean this is not the college game anymore you're getting like i said you're (laughs) you're you're uh you're not in college anymore you're in the pros right and it's different so that's basically all i can say on that you just have to experience it and once you do you learn from that. You get the touch and the feel, and you make sure you get those fish on your reel. Otherwise, yeah, you'll you'll get smoked. Yeah, so you you catch that first one. You catch one, you lose one, whatever. You tune yourself a little bit to okay. Mm-hmm. I need to do something a little bit different, and that that's one reason, honestly, why I try to hire a guide the first day I go. Right, because I don't I don't know what, I don't know what's going on in Colorado. You know, on some of those private waters out there, it's pretty easy. Cause they don't get a right. lot of action out there, but you know, some of those other waters where it's, where it's public and all that. Yeah. I need somebody there to tell me exactly what you're saying. Small flies. Okay. Well, I don't care to fish size 24 one. Cause I can't tie them on two because I don't fish them every day, but if that's what I've got to do, that's what I've got to do. But I don't know what I don't know until somebody tells right. me, because if, if I'm out there, right. let's say I take a week with the family. I don't have time to figure all that stuff out, you know, and, right. and get gets anywhere near somewhat proficient. I'm just kind of out there at the mercy of what I can learn. And, you know, the laws out there for, for river access are in my mind, right. freaking crazy. Uh, you know, people, <laughs> people are really pissy about that. And I don't blame them. I'm not saying I blame them at all, but ooh, yeah, you can get some, some heated stuff right. out there if you're not careful. That's a definite plus of saying, okay, I'm going to, even for a half a day, you know, if I can hire somebody for a half a day, which is fine for me, I can learn quite a bit enough to get me through a couple other days of fishing on my own. But, you know, a full day of guided is much better. And then I can go out on my own and expect to catch something, expect to know that, okay, I need to get these on the reel real quick. You know, after you lose two or three of them on your own, you realize, oh, okay, I need to get them on the reel. But you you know, by that time, your day may be halfway over. So that's right. That's, that's really an important point to understand as well here. And again, Pueblo, and it goes into the South, South uh, Platte tailwaters as well. And most tailwaters is the, the, the bulk of the eatings in the morning, most of the time in the summertime, spring, summer, and fall. Yeah. And so if you're learning or trying to adjust when the, when you're losing fish, they're eating at that point. So they might turn off really quick. And so yeah. That's where it gets tough to kind of explain that. You gotta you gotta pre- go in prepared and understanding why. Yeah, right. So and we've talked about a lot of things, but just to, just to kind of wrap this thing up, what's the one thing we haven't asked about uh, fly fishing in the Arkansas tailwater that maybe we should have asked? Great question. Um, you know, we covered quite a bit. I think one of the main things you got to uh, understand probably is if you're coming out here, you want to know the flows. That probably is the number one thing that you need to know. Like if I show up in July because my family's out here, you know, can I access it? And is it worth fishing first of all? Mm. Or in, you know, July 1st, January 1st, how cold is it? What's the flow? That type of stuff. So I think outside of wintertime, you're going to have to depend on looking at the flows and see what they are and then make your choice whether or not you want to fish it. Because if it's too high, then it's not worth it. If it's um, super low, which generally doesn't happen all that often, but um, there's times where it, you know it's not worth fishing it at uh, either. 
And if it's super hot there, because in the summertime, it can be 100, 105, 110 sometimes. You know, 105 is probably more kind of on the really high end, but it does get warm there. So is it too hot? And then also the other thing, when you're talking about a guide trip, if you say, hey, I want to do a guide trip in you know July 1st, don't book a full day. Because the main thing is, like I said, these fish eat in the morning. So if you want to get there in the morning about 7 o'clock, if you do a half day, you're fishing 8, 9, 10, 11. Those fish in the summertime, they're done eating by 1030. And so if you book a full day trip, you know, I'm like, okay, we got to get there. Let's try to get there 7, maybe even 630 or 6. And you got 6 hours on the water. The back end of the, you know, anything past 1030, it's not any good. Why? Because those fish are eat, or they're done eating. What happens in the summertime is, is usually a trico spinnerfall. And they munch, they throw down really, really heavily. And once those bugs flush out, they're done. And again, I mentioned earlier, in human terms, if you're at the dinner table and all the food disappears, are you going to stay there? Right. Nope. You're gone. You're sitting (laughs) on the couch. Yeah. Right. right. Either one, the food runs out or two, you get full and you leave. So that's the same process on this tailwater is that Every day, that's the that's the main thing. Depending on the flows, again, they're going to have a trico spinner fall. So they're going to be eating emergers. They're going to be eating the, and then it might quiet down, and then they're going to be eating the drowned duns. Once everything flushes out, those fish they're they're done, and that's pretty much the main thing in the summer to understand on tailwaters is they have enough bugs to keep them occupied. Until either the food runs out or they're they're full and they're 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 onto the couch. So again, goes back to a lot of things, you know, trying to understand if they're eating, I keep going back to the reference of eating French fries, why are they gonna switch over to a steak, which is a streamer, mm-hmm. in front of their face? It's maybe hard for us to understand why we wouldn't do that, but once you see this happen time and time again, it makes more sense. Right. So that's another tip just to, to, to know that don't book a full day trip on a tailwater in Colorado because those fish eat at specific times and until a specific time, um, usually mid morning and then they are done. And then, so your next two, three, four hours, pretty boring. And it's pretty boring for us as the guide because we, <laughs> we know yeah. what just happened and we know that they're probably not going to eat. And we can't do anything different. We can't throw dries because they're sitting on the couch. We can't throw streamers because they're sitting on the couch. Or, or, you know, changing flies isn't really, you know, you just ate, you know, how many plates of French fries and I'm trying to feed you Cheetos and crackers and other things. You're like, nope, I'm good. So that's what I mean by trying to understand what, what we're doing here and how we're fishing it. That's part of what I try to teach people was, Let's look at it this way. You just ate. Are you going to eat again? No. And that, and then when they're it's not, different. when they're not eating, it's so much pressure on me. And I, I'm sure you feel that way too. Like, oh, please, somebody come and eat something. You know, if, right. if, if it's two o'clock in the afternoon and you know, all right, at four o'clock, we're going to be done here. And I haven't seen a fish in an hour and a half. It's a lot right. of pressure on you to make something happen when they're, especially when you know, all right, well, they've, like you said, they've they've eaten 10 plates of french fries and they're sitting on the couch i'm not sure what's going to entice them to even open their mouth today the rest of the day right and and clients they understand that because usually they've had some of the best fishing they've ever had in you know yeah. the previous few hours and it's great it's awesome it's fun and then all of a sudden sudden it just starts tapering off and then all of a sudden it just dies and so you know as a client they understand and yeah. i have to remind them you know hey you ate breakfast this morning did you eat lunch after your big well brunch did you brunch, eat lunch yeah. right after you finished brunch and <laughs> it makes sense to them you know because uh like i said you have to put a lot of things into human terms and understand it that way so that's something that we didn't touch on in terms of a full day guide trip versus a half day and half days are for us four hours and the full days are six hours so it makes a huge difference if we can get on the water at 6 30 let's say and, and be there on the water at seven when those fish are eating yeah. Because it gives you a couple hours at most. And then, you know, if it were a two day, two hour trip, it'd be perfect because 
again, those fish are eating during that time. And anytime after that, they stop. So a four hour trip can be stretching it even, even if you're done at, at 1130. There's but just, it, also, um, it also takes folks a little bit of time. It, I know it takes me, let me, let me speak for David, not everybody else else out there listening, mm-hmm. but it takes me a little bit of time to get used to what's going on. The, the, the flow of the river, even standing, I found that even standing in front of, and I've got a hide and that's what we fish out of day in, day out. Mm-hmm. But even standing in front of a in the front of a hide out there, it's just a little different, and it takes me a minute to to kind of get the the men's down. And all right, I don't need to go probably quite as far out uh, when I'm fishing a little bit, you know, more gradient water. And so it takes people a minute just to get kind of kind of wound up and get ready and get fishing good. So. You know, that, that first hour, right. although it seems slow, sometimes it's, it, sometimes it's me, sometimes it's the fish and, and, and when you're in, it's the same way here. You know, I know folks that, that get out of a hide and come and fish with me and I can tell they're, they're like, okay, this is a little bit different. Boat's exactly the same water, maybe a little mm-hmm. slower, a little faster. We're fishing a little bit different, but you know, once they get dialed in, everything's fine. But those 50, first 20, 30, 40 minutes, it's, it's kind of uh, right. just a little bit out of sorts. So right. it's not like that, that right. first hour is wasted. It's just different. Right. Right. Yeah. If you do a trip today, tomorrow, you know, in the winter time, it's going to be different and you're going to have more time on the front end. If you did a four hour trip, it's going to be slow. And then you're going to have a potential midge hatch in the middle of your trip and then it's going to die off again. So, mm-hmm. you know, got to adjust to that as well and understand that that's you know these windows of feeding are sometimes very very short 10 minutes long sometimes they're two hours long sometimes three hours long just depends and that's fishing you know yeah Uh, right we can't we can't always predict how the day is going to go you know uh, one other thing i'll say about pueblo is that um, especially right now this time of the year you have days where it's super slow in the wintertime just you Mm -hmm. cannot buy a fish you can't make meat you put everything that worked the last time you put them in front of them and you fish the same spots and the fish are there. They're just not eating. Uh, you go back the next day, they, every fish in that river could be eating and yeah. eating for long periods of time. It's, it's kind of weird in that sense where, you know, you can, you can strike out. I tell people if you fish it seven days a week, you'll hit maybe one of those days where it's really good. And then the most of them are going to be kind of, eh, they're okay. And then you'll hit one of the days where it's, or two days where it's just completely dead. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's just, that's just the way it is right now. Yeah. It's winter time. It's cold. Well, and that's not the only, that's not the only river that, that, that fishes that way. I right. think they all fish that way to a certain extent. I've been out and just right. chilled it one day and then went back the next day and it was really slow and I had gotten my, you know, you get yourself all amped up of, wow, yesterday was was great. I know today's right. going to be a fantastic day. And I've had that flip-flop. Uh, I've had one where these these two gentlemen were like, I want to catch a brown. I want to catch a brown. You know, I was like, oh, sh- shouldn't be any problem. And they catch one, but it ain't exactly what they were looking for. The next day, I took right. my daughter, and she had three browns, exactly what they were looking for in the first uh, <laughs> football field length of, of the river. And I, and I told her, I, she, yeah. she's like, yeah, that's a nice fish. And I said, you don't understand. These dudes yesterday were really <laughs> banking on that to be the fit. You know, we really want to catch one. You've caught three in the first hundred yards. I would just go right. ahead and row your rear end on out of here and go home and, and eat a cheeseburger or something. But that's yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> you never yeah, know. And that, that's the, uh, that's the hard part about guiding some days is that you get people that have been planning this for eight months and contacting you and, you know, what are the flows you think it's gonna be good? Yes, yes, yes. You know, and they show up and it just doesn't fish good for right. whatever reason. And then you get, you get somebody that doesn't even want, want to be there and they're just, they're just oh. you know, slamming fish left and right. And it's oh. just like, man, this yeah. guy, you know, he's not even having, he, you know, he catches a 22 inch Brown or something like that. And just like, huh. That's, that's way nothing, you know, right. It's not yeah. that exciting, but you know, I'm excited. So, but yeah, <laughs> exactly. So true. That's what's hard about the guiding, being a guide and, and running into those situations. Kind of what you were describing is that, uh, you know, they look forward to catching some nice fish and, you know, fish are not on the same page as we are that day. So exactly. It's so true. We try. But, 
you know. <laughs> yeah, you try You do every. I mean, I, I know I do. I'm sure you do. I know David does. You try everything you know, and some days it's just, all right, it's just not, it's not coming together for whatever yeah. reason. And, uh, the, and the, yeah. the days like that, that you're like, okay, this could be a great day. And then it turns out to be a, a, a big pile of, pile of nothing. Right. You know, and you're like, yeah, oh, man, those are yeah. so disappointing because you just know that you're going to show somebody <laughs> a good time. And, you know, you really work 10 times harder that day than you do whenever they're like jumping in the net. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's why we go back. That's that's, that's yeah. what we strive for. We try to recreate some of those really good days. And um, sometimes it happens. Most of the time yeah. it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. But exactly. we, we try. Well, we say we close this thing out. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, had a great time. Okay, great. All right. Well, feel free to share this podcast with your friends and your fishing partners. Smash that subscribe or follow button so you'll be the first to know when the episode drops. Also, when you get a chance, give us a positive review wherever you consume your podcast. If you find value in the pod in this podcast and you want to support the podcast, just drop by the Southeastern Fly Store and simply make a purchase. That's what keeps this podcast going. So who is our guest today? on Southeastern Fly. Juan Ramirez is a fly fishing guide on the South Platte and the Arkansas in Colorado. And that's what we spent the whole, uh, probably about an hour or so talking about. He's an accomplished fly tire. I've seen some of his work and it's really good. He's well known for, as he said, small technical flies. He fishes that quite a bit. He ties flies at local fishing shows, tying demos, and conducts, conducts fly tying classes in Colorado Springs as well. You can find him at the Angler's Covey in Colorado Springs, and he has plenty of online content that can be found via any online search. And you can look in the show notes. He said he'd send us those those uh, links as well. But Juan, man, I appreciate you stopping by and talking with us. That yeah, man, appreciate it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, you just listened to Fly Fish in the Arkansas Tailwater with Juan Ramirez on Southeastern Fly. See you next time. <laughs>